Good morning, church. And what a joy it is for me to stand before you to read the Word of God. We'll be reading from Mark 5, 25 to 24. This week, we continue to study the authentic authority of King Jesus. Jesus has authority to heal physically, but his greater desire is to engage in intimate relationship with us. Jesus loves you and wants you to know him. The grace of God invites us to put our faith in Jesus and allow our hearts to hope in him. Will you? Please join me in reading God's word printed on the screen or in your Bible. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I but touch his, even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carl. God bless you. And can we just say together, that's some of our favorite noises ever, <laughs> that we get to hear the word of God read in the cry of little babies around us. We love being a family, don't we? Gosh, we want to worship together as families, have little wiggles in our pews with us or seats, wherever you are. I don't know. Where am I? Uh, we're, you might have heard that story and said, Di didn't we study that last week? In fact, in our deep dive Sunday school class, somebody said that. Didn't we study that last week? And I was like, no, I mean, kind of not really. It's, it's part of the same story, but it's a different story. We're going to look and focus in on this woman uh, who came and touched Jesus. And it is in the context of, of Jesus on his way to Jairus's house to heal his daughter. Uh, so, yes, it's a part of the same story, but it's not exactly the same story. Um, and it's, it's presented this way in Mark because this is how it happened. This is history, and it is a revelation of who God is in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And it comes in a series of stories about Jesus that are demonstrating his authority and his power as king. I know you remember some of them. You remember when Jesus demonstrated his authority over devastating storms. You remember when he was in the boat and he stood and he spoke and everything was still. You remember when he went across the sea for Capernaum, uh, where he demonstrated his authority over demons. The man that was possessed with legion, he commanded the demons and they left. You remember last week as we looked at Jesus and he, uh, we studied his authority over even death. 
when he spoke the word of the king to the child who was dead or sleeping, and she rose. Today we see the authority over the uh, power of disease as Jesus continues to demonstrate his authority as king. Now we've done this in the context of, of looking at different hurdles that we have for hope. And specifically, last week we addressed the hurdles uh, of living by what we see. So often we lose hope. Because of the things that we see, we calculate the odds and try to create optimism off of that, uh, to use the words from class as well. And that just doesn't cut it. Christians are called to live by faith and not by sight. We also have a temptation to hope in what we can do. Our own effort, whether that's a religious effort, our religious works, or the resources that God's entrusted to us. Both of those are just graves for hope. There's no real hope in there. Jesus comes and he offers true biblical hope. And today the hurdle of hope that we can all identify with is this reality of battling and enduring the same struggles in this broken world where there are burdens in our life that we feel like just won't go away. You been there? The woman that we're going to look at suffered with a disease of bleeding for 12 years. And it is a hurdle for our hope. It doesn't look like the odds work towards optimism when we calculate based on our experiences. But biblical hope is different. And we talked about this a little last week. Biblical hope never pushes you towards your circumstances, your own effort, your own resources. Biblical hope always pushes you towards a person, God himself, and his promises, the power of his word for all who believe. And so as we dive in to study this word, let's go together to the Lord of the word and ask his spirit to touch our hearts. Will you join me in praying as we come to this text? Let's pray. Father, we believe. Would you help us with our unbelief? We ask that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the authority and the beauty and the power of your revelation of who you are. Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. We're all tempted to lose hope or to have an artificial hope based on our experiences. Our family used to live in Memphis, Tennessee. And Memphis is a phenomenal city. We love it. It's a very economically segregated city, uh, much like San Antonio. Uh, but it's uh, largely the dominating demographic there is African-American. And we worked, or I, I served in a church much like First Presbyterian Church. It was a wealthy, mostly white church in a poorer, mostly African-American city. And we felt under conviction that if the church, or the city was going to change in Memphis and the church really needed to engage, we were inspired by several faithful people who were doing it. And so we decided uh, that we were going to try to steward our leadership in a way that led to a little city transformation. So we had a phenomenal little home on a safe little cul-de-sac. We decided to move into the other side of the tracks, quite literally, in Memphis. Um, and we bought an old crack house for $5 a square foot. Because, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
we did that. And we moved into a place called Orange Mound, which is historically uh, not a place where, uh, you know, $5 square foot's about right. We'll just put it that way, okay? And we redid the house. We moved in. We were excited, and I'm not going to lie, very nervous. And the first night we slept there, I'll never forget we're sitting there, we put the kids to bed, we're talking, uh, trying to kind of avoid the situation by watching a movie, uh, avoiding our feelings, talking while we're doing it, uh, and we hear these loud gunshots outside. And I don't mean like just gunshots in the distance, like, was that firecrackers or gunshot? What was that? I mean like loud gunshots right outside our home. And immediately I did what any pastor or godly Christian man does in a situation like that. I called 911 as fast as I could. And I called them and I told them the desperate and dire situation. There's gunshots that are really loud, multiple, right outside of our house. And you know how they responded? They said, Is there a body? I was like, Well, I don't know. I didn't go find out. And I'm not going to go find out and become that body and not be able to call you back. So please. Send help. And they said, I'm sorry, sir. We get so many reports of gunshots, we can't send help unless there's actually a body. And I was very loving. We can't send help. Just kidding. No, I did. I, I hung up the phone and I just looked at Lisa. I said, Lisa, we better pray. Isn't that how we are? So often. We try to work all of our horizontal resources and find all the security and strength and hope that we need looking this way. And once those are all exhausted, then we say, we better pray. Well, the invitation of a God who is with us, covenantly faithful, present, and all-powerful through his promises and the proclamation of his word is that you don't have to wait till you're totally devastated to come to him. He wants you to come, wants all of us to come, and to cry out to him now. But we see that even when our resources are exhausted, this first point that we see is that our devastation is actually fertile ground for our faith. I mean, yes, these resources in our life are good. The police are good. We celebrate the police. We back the blue. Because they're serving our city, we're friends with them. Many of you are blue, and we thank God for you. Now I sound like a Dr. Seuss book. I need to move on, don't I? All right. But the real power of our hope is in the presence of God himself. In the power of his promises and his word, the person of Jesus Christ. And you'll remember, Jesus had just come back to Capernaum. And he was on his way, journeying towards Jairus' home. Because Jairus had fallen on his face and implored Jesus earnestly, begging him, please come heal my daughter. And the crowd was around Jesus. I mean, literally, it, the language is like crushing in on him. And it, in this journey that Jesus is having to Jairus' house, we see a, a desperate journey of the woman. And it's highlighted by a really intimate interruption. Look at the passage, verse 25. A woman that had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I've struggled with physical health. After 12 days, it's discouraging. 
After 12 months, it's discouraging. After 12 years, I can't imagine. This woman had a desperate journey, and she suffered tremendously. Look at verse 26. It says it. She had suffered much. How much did she suffer? Much. A lot. And not only that, she had spent all she had in trying to get better. She had used all her resources, all her her influence, all her property, everything gone. Why? She wanted to get better. She was alone. She was poor, broke, homeless, and still sick. And even worse than that, look at the end of verse 26. She had spent all she had, and she was no better. Rather, she grew worse. You see the desperation in that journey? It is dark. Can you identify with that? Is there an personal struggle or a personal relationship? Maybe it's a situation in a family or, or a fracture or friction that has come. Maybe it's financial questions. Maybe it's health questions. But this long, difficult, and desperate journey where your temptation is to look at the situation of your life and just say, my experience tells me to not hope. The odds for optimism are not there. You see, this woman is in her darkest hour. Completely ready to give up. But the scripture is clear that the light of hope begins to dawn in our darkest days. It's true every single morning that the darkest hour is before the dawn. So it is true in our lives. Even when we can't see it, we can't feel it. And it happens, that light and love begins to shine when we have a divine encounter. Look at verse 27. She, this woman, she had heard reports about Jesus. What has she heard? We don't know. Maybe she heard, you remember the story that happened at Capernaum? Uh, it was about the paralyzed man that was dropped through the roof, and Jesus forgave his sins, and then he healed him, and he got up, and he took his mat, and he left. That happened at Capernaum. Maybe she heard about that. Maybe she heard about Jesus calming the storm or, or healing the demoniac across the lake. We don't know what she heard, but she heard about Jesus. And then verse 27, she came up behind Jesus. And she did so in a crowd, wanting to not be seen and against the social norm of the day. You see, the woman had a discharge of blood, and according to Leviticus 15, she was socially unclean. And we're used to that when we hear the story of lepers. You know, when lepers come, they're supposed to stay away from people. They can't go in the synagogue. They let people know, unclean, unclean. It's the same with women who have this, or people who have this bleeding that won't stop. But she came in a crowd wanting not to be seen. She came up behind Jesus. She didn't even want Jesus to see him. And look what it says. She touched his garment. Why did she touch her garment? Verse 28 answers our question. She said, if I touch even his garments, I can be made well. 
The word for that is faith. You know, Jesus, everybody in here has heard testimony about Jesus working. She heard Jesus. And she moved from hearing to moving her feet and going to Jesus. And she had ears to hear in her heart and that manifest in her hand, reaching out in faith to touch Jesus. And verse 28 is clear that her disease, that is just, the language is like scourging of whips that had been whipping her and brutalizing her for not 12 hours or 12 days or 12 months, but 12 years. The fountain of that blood, the language is, dried up. She was healed because of a divine encounter. Immediately, the woman was healed. You see, desperation is fertile ground for our faith because we turn our hearts to hope in Jesus. There must be a divine encounter. Biblical hope is different. The person of God is present. The power of God is in the promises and the word of God. He brings healing. Faith grows in the soil of desperation, difficulty, and despair because of a divine encounter. So we're free to stop looking horizontally. To, I mean, yes, those things are important. I'm going to go to doctors on my health journey, but my primary hope is not in any medicine, any medical math, or any medical MD. My hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our hope is not in the good things of this earth, but in the great one who is our God and who is with us. And he makes promises. He speaks to us through his word that's more powerful than your circumstances. Do you see Jesus? Do you believe? I don't want to see heads nodding saying you believe. We want to be a people with hearts throbbing and moving towards the Messiah with hands of hope and faith. Faith demonstrated by actions. And here's what you're going to find. That when we see the divine encounter as our top priority for hope, his presence with us, the authority that Jesus uses to heal, it's intended to capture our hearts with his love. It's amazing. You know, let's back up. Last week, you'll remember, right after this story, uh, the servants of Jairus come to him, and they say, Teacher, teach, don't bother the teacher anymore. The daughter, she's already dead. It's beyond hope. And they called Jesus teacher, but they had no idea that Jesus was more than a teacher. In fact, unlike any other teacher, when Jesus spoke resurrection happened and he went straight to the place of death and reached out and brought life through the power of his word. Jesus is more than a teacher here. The temptation is to see Jesus as just a healer and Jesus reveals himself as more than a healer. He's a lover. He loves you. And if he's going to have to grab your heart through a physical ailment or through a financial disaster or relational friction or unstable life, then he is going to use that to get you to him so that he can have your heart. Do you believe that God loves you and wants your heart? He does. This story is amazing. I mean, 
Jesus immediately turned, it says in 29, in third verse 30. He perceived that power had gone out from him. And the temptation is thinking, is that like an iPhone? Does Jesus need to be charged so that he can keep working? Is that why he got up early in the morning to pray so he could plug into the Father and have enough energy? No. Like we, Jesus is far more than the technological device that you carry in your pocket. He perceived power had gone out from him because somebody had plugged into him with faith. And he wasn't losing power as if it's some sort of balance, but he was sharing healing power because someone touched him. Immediately he turned to the crowd and he said, who touched my garments? Now, Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. And yet he asked the question. You almost get taken back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were trying to hide from God in their shame. And God said, where are you? Like he didn't know as if he wanted Adam and Eve to come out and to make themselves known. In the same way, he asked the question, who touched my garments? So that this woman would would come out, to come out as the one who has faith, to come out as the one who believes, to come out as the one who's been healed. And we're afraid to come out as Christians. We're afraid to come out and say, we believe that Jesus is not only a healer, but he's the Messiah, the hope of the world. But Jesus says, who touched me? Because he wants people who come to him in faith to come out, to be known, even in crowds. He looked all around. Did Jesus need to ask why? No. Why did Jesus stop? Because he wants us to get this message. He could have kept going to Jairus' house. He could have kept going, and no one would have known that this woman was healed. It could have been like some secret agent healing where they touched, went on, and Jesus didn't even acknowledge it. You know Jesus could have done that, right? But he didn't because he wants you to see this next encounter. The disciples, they kind of mock Jesus in verse 33. (laughs) Uh, They say, uh, but the woman, knowing it happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She fell down before... Wait, that skips some. The disciples said in verse 31... Come on, Jesus. You see the crowds pressing around you and you say, who touched me? They're mocking him. Almost like the mourners who were loudly mourning and they laugh at Jesus later. It's crazy. And this woman comes, now look at this. This woman was interested in healing, but Jesus was interested in hearing her. Jesus stopped. Verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told Jesus the whole truth. Jesus didn't just stop, get her name, say, hey, I'll make an appointment, meet you later. He heard her whole story. The woman wanted to stop her bleeding, and Jesus wanted to start a relationship. The woman wanted a miracle. Jesus wanted her to know that he was Messiah that he was king, and that he not only has authority over the brokenness of this world and the burdens of our lives, but he intimately knows you and he loves you and he wants your heart to hear your whole story. This is an unbelievable invitation to intimate relationship with the king. Jesus, listen to the whole story. And folks, this is an invitation for everyone because the contrast of these stories could not be more clear in inviting all of us, everyone, to come to Christ. Jairus was really prominent, a religious man. This woman was really poor and unclean. 
Jairus had a family. This woman was alone. Jairus had resources, even a house. This woman had nothing. Jairus was involved in the synagogue. He was a leader in the synagogue. This woman wasn't even allowed in the synagogue. This is unbelievable that Jesus' love and this invitation is for everyone who comes to him by faith. Now, you got to ask the question, was this woman just using Jesus like a lot of people do during finals times in college or high school? Right? I mean, they say there's no atheists in foxholes because when you're fighting, everybody needs to have a higher power. Or when you're in finals, everybody needs God to help them because you didn't study enough. I mean, isn't it that we just use God sometimes? And can't we throw stones at this woman and say, you're just using Jesus? And, and the whole story pulls back and says, Jesus doesn't care. However you come to him, he wants you to use him. Go to him. Use him. And in the process, understand that he's using your circumstances to get you to his feet. He loves you. And he wants to give peace to your heart. That's exactly what he does to this woman. He says, daughter, all of a sudden she has family. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of disease. Whatever troubles and trials and tribulations that you have in life, Jesus is inviting you to come to him, use him, ask him, believe that he can do anything, and he can. But in the process, more than anything, believe that he knows you, he loves you, and he wants your heart. He wants to hear the whole truth to bring healing. So what do we get out of this? What's the intimate invitation Jesus gives us? First, friends, you're all invited to know and to trust the sovereign grace of Jesus. He's sovereign. He rules over everything. He's making all things new. All things are working according to the counsel of his will, what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. And he's working good and glory for all who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's sovereign and he's graceful. No matter where you are, what you've done, you're not disqualified. You're not unclean and an outcast. Come to me, says Jesus. Come to me. He invites you by his sovereign grace. Second, you're invited to know and to trust his divine desire and design for intimate relationship with you. Jesus wants to know you. Jesus wants you to know him. Jesus loves you. And he's using your circumstances so that you can engage on a deeper, more intimate level with him. Are you going to him? or the authorities of this culture that offer artificial hope. Thirdly, you're inviting to know and to trust the authority of Jesus. Jesus is worthy to hold your hope. He's unlike any authority in this world. He will deliver. We might have to wait. Another aspect of biblical hope is waiting. But we can guarantee that the kingdom that's been inaugurated through the work of Jesus Christ will be brought to completion. And those who are not raised to life in this life who trust Jesus will be resurrected. Those diseases that aren't healed in this life will find total healing when Jesus comes back and consummates his kingdom. He has an authority that is unlike any other authority. He's more strong than any government, more strong than any economy, more strong than any institution, more strong than any resource that you could do. He can do abundantly more 
than you can ask or imagine. And you're invited, finally, to know and to trust his desire to send you in peace. That peace will come when your faith totally rests in him and you move beyond a desire to use him and to find an intimate relationship with him, knowing that he's with you in the storm and that while the culture and the world around us are changing exponentially in a way that's hard to describe, his character is unchanging. God is good. God loves you. God is sovereign. God is faithful. God will not leave or forsake you. His character is unchanging and his promises are true. You can bank on it and lean into it with all you got. And they will be fulfilled either, either now or when he comes back. But you can guarantee something, they will be filled. And you will find peace of God that will surpass all understanding. Guard your heart in Christ Jesus when you choose to believe. Because we know the Lord is near and he wants to give you that peace. Jesus is king. He loves you. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereign grace. We thank you for your beneficial rule and authority, your desire to heal, but more than that, your desire to reveal who you are and what you've done. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I pray that you'd give us faith. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.